0: Romans 6.23 is where we're going to start. Romans 6.23. I would probably say, how many of you are accustomed to what we call the Romans road when we're talking to someone about, you know, this is... One of the foundational verses, right, that we use in sharing the gospel with someone or sharing uh, how, you know, what the penalty of their sin is and getting them to recognize that. And then obviously sharing uh, God's gift is eternal life. Okay, so it is a vital, vital part, but we want to make sure that we don't isolate this verse. Like it's standing by itself, right? The Romans Road is good. Uh, it, it it has its purpose, but we don't want to pull this verse out like it's not a part of this whole section. It, it, it's it's fundamental part of uh, what Paul is is getting here. Okay, and this is like the culmination, the 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 final end of the humanity uh, <clears throat> is talked about in this verse. And it gives us some very clear insight, okay? So <clears throat> we're going to get right into it because we have a lot of ground to cover today. Alright, so the first part of the verse uh, we see is for the wages, okay? And we're, gonna, we're going to talk about this uh, and, and clear, clearly understand what Paul is Uh, driving towards here, okay, for the wages, okay, and you have a blank there, wages is the payment for work done, payment for work done, okay, I dare to guess that everyone in this room has had a job at some point in their life, uh, or still has one, and so you go to work uh, to get a wage, Okay, for work that you have done. Okay, so uh, it's a pretty clear statement. Uh, Not a lot needs to be said there, but uh, I want to make sure that we follow the progression of thought. So the payment for work done. Okay, so for the wages of sin, and we'll stop there, sin. Alright, a job, your blank is, a job we are born into. Okay. Some people are born into royalty, right? Some people, you know, um, are born into a business. Um, you know, I, the thought that just came to mind, like the the children from Walmart, right? The owners of Walmart, their children are born into wealth, born into that business. Most likely, they're not going to go start their own when they're a part of a trillion or. Multi-billion-dollar company so they're born into that. Um, we all are born into sin. Okay, so that's your—that's the the idea. The job. Okay, following Paul's train of thought here with the wages, your job description that you're born into is what a sinner, right? That is what we are born into. So, the job you're born to do is sin. Okay. And we've obviously, Paul has uh, laid the foundation for that already. So he's just re emphasizing that. Okay. So the, the wage for the job you were born into, the amount we are paid, or the amount we are owed. Okay. So death, your final, your, your third blank there, is the amount we are owed. Okay. Payment for work done. In a job we were born into, death is the amount that we're owed. Sounds like a fantastic job, right? It's a job you didn't have a choice in. You were born into it. And what your payment will be, what you're owed at the end, is death. All right? This is... um, Something we don't have a choice in. This is something we're born into. This is something that we do. Although we, <clears throat> um, we don't have a choice, we still willingly are, per- are participants in this job, right? Before salvation, we were willingly excited about the job we were doing, right? We were happy about it. We were glad in the job we were in. If you, um, you know, when you, when you start understanding um, the, the sinfulness of man and how man does not uh, regard the consequences for their action. Oftentimes, and we see this a lot in a lustful, a sensual, lustful relationship between two people uh, that they know is wrong... The passions that are stirred up there—they don't care about the consequences down the road, right? They're so stirred up in the passions of the moment, or whatever circumstance that might find them in, that they don't—they don't worry about it. Sin does not worry about the consequences; it doesn't want to bring that up. If, you know, for, for example, if we um, had a sign that popped up in front of our face every time we were about to sin that said the consequences for this action is this. We probably would not sin very often, right? It'd be the, the, the idea of this, this you know, uh, maybe we're going to a house to have uh, an illegal poker game and drugs, Okay, and when you walk up to the house to this illegal poker game and drugs on the doorpost of the or the door uh, there, it, it had a sign that said, "The police will be here shortly." Would you still enter in to partake in this illegal poker game and drugs? Probably not. Okay, but that's not how this works. Um, we, you know, sinners understand there's a penalty, but they don't care you know this this is not something that's in the forefront of their mind um obviously the wage here is a balloon payment we understand the the, the idea behind a balloon payment right you know do we does everyone know what a balloon payment does at one go ahead sit down okay okay so a balloon payment is um you you get you borrow money okay. Let's say you borrow money for a house, okay. And uh, in five years, you let's say you borrow two hundred thousand dollars for this house. In five years, that balloon payment means you're going to owe. You don't pay anything until the balloon payment comes. You can pay, but typically you don't pay anything. But at the end of five years, you have to have that full two hundred thousand dollars. Okay. So the wages of our sin uh, here. Uh, Your blanks, Amy, are uh, the wages is a payment for work done, and then sin is a job we are born into, and then death is the amount we are owed, okay? So the death is a balloon payment. We're obviously not given portions of our payment throughout life. This is a final balloon payment, um, as it were, okay? Any any thoughts just on those three those three words? Any anything I can clarify there? Sinful humanity, willing the this is a willing participant in this, even though we have no choice. You're still a willing participant in the job you were born into, and you do a good job. As we've covered, uh, as we covered before, uh, when it, when Paul was talking about slavery, right? We were really good slaves to sin because that's all we could do. Okay? So at the end of your life, your amount owed to you is death. And that is a full payment of what you deserve for the job you did. And this is what Paul is uh, emphasizing here. Uh, strongly emphasizing. Okay, so... Any any thoughts or ideas or comments on those three? Pretty clear, pretty cut and dry. Okay, Paul is... The wages of sin is death. Okay? It's very, very cut dry. This is what's going to happen to every human. Every single human that is born uh, is born into their job of sin and their wage that they will get for doing that job is death. Alright? Um, probably some of the greatest word, or one of the greatest words in our English Bible is what? What would you say? The, one of the greatest words in our English Bible is? But. It's the very <laughs> next word, right? Okay? For the wages of sin is death. But. That's a big Big deal right there. This is in a small statement. But the free gift. We're going to stop right there. But the free gift. Um, This is a double positive. Okay? It's a double positive. How many of you gave a gift on Christmas this year? You gave a gift of any kind. You gave some kind of gift or maybe even got one. Okay? Did you explain to the person you were giving to him that this is a free gift? Kind of like, well, isn't a gift free? Yeah, it's a little redundant, right? Or a double positive, okay? This is a free gift. By the nature of gift, it is free. I mean, if you have to do anything for a gift, it is no longer what? It's a gift. You've done something for it whether it be small or great you've done something for it paul is emphasizing the point there is absolutely nothing you and i can do for salvation it's free gift it's really emphasizing the point here okay which is in Stark contrast to what we do before salvation, we earn a wage of, we earn, we work for that gift of death, or that, that wage of death, right? We work hard for it. We endeavor, on our, our entire life is invested into earning the wage of death. And Paul brings out this glorious contrast between the Satan's desired way of uh, giving or, or giving us a wage and God's. Okay, and we're going to flush this out as we get into actually in, in chapter seven some more. But the free gift, and we don't want to exclude the gift giver here. Okay, the free gift of God, okay, the free gift of God, all right, the free, be, because of His, your blank there is because of His love for us, okay, we see that, where, where, where do we see, uh, we love God because why? He first loved us, we see that in the book of John, okay. So he gives this free gift to us because of his love for us. Not because we did something, not because I'm a great person or I've done great things or I've accomplished great things, because all of us were up into this, uh, we're, we're working really hard in those upper three, right? We all were uh, employed by sin, and we all were earning the wage. Okay, we all were in that, and God, because of His great love for us, in that while we were what yet employed by sin—that's my little added there—but it's it, while we were yet sinners, employed by sin, Christ what died for us? Okay. Because of His love for us. This major part, okay, He gives us what? Eternal life. What we were freely given. okay, That is your blank there. We were freely given this. It's not something we could earn. It's not something we could do a job good enough for. Um, this was given to us freely by Him. So eternal life is that free gift um, and very it, one is a wage that we earn, one is a gift given to us freely by the God that loves us. Um, very clear passage to take someone that wants to argue the fact that we have to work. Work base. Paul covers that throughout the book of Romans and in Ephesians. In other places, he constantly is bringing us back to the point of we can do nothing for our salvation. It is totally and 100% wrapped up in what Christ has done. Okay, So, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in... Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, the the last point there, I just have simply Calvary covered it all. Calvary covered it all. Okay? Uh, That one is, uh, uh, we uh, were freely given. Okay, that was something we were freely given. The free gift is eternal life. Okay? And then Calvary covered it all through. The Calvary's price, what He paid for us on Calvary is the reason He can give us this gift. Someone has to pay for the gift. Okay? No one went into... Uh the store took the 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 product off the shelf and walked out and then gave it to their child, right? You had to pay for that. If not, come talk to me afterwards, and we'll have a different discussion okay You were still working in the the upper part of your deal if you're a thief, all right <laughs> so. Okay. Any any comments? Any thoughts? It's a very um, we could spend a lot of time here, um, but I I believe that we we get a good understanding of what Paul, the culmination of life, is. One person, uh, you are born and you're going to get what you deserve, which is death. That is your wage, a penalty or the, the, the ways which you have earned through life. And the other person has that gift. And those are the two. Those are the only two outcomes of life. There isn't a third, there isn't a fourth, there isn't a, you know, a culmination of you either have the wages of sin, or you have the free gift. Those are the two uh, that we have. And we, we proclaim that to the world so that they hear, because... How will they know about Christ unless they hear, right? The preaching of the Word of God is how they know. The sharing of the Word of God is how they know that there is a, a deal. And then obviously God works within their heart, okay? Any comments on that powerful verse? Okay. If not, did I wait long enough there, Jessica? She tells me, you never wait long enough. You always ask a question and then move on. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. So, big picture from Romans six fifteen. Now, I didn't uh, cover this. Uh, I, I did cover this, but I didn't use the words and the the what I'm going to go over. But it's important that we we cover this going into chapter number seven. Okay. So the big picture um, of Romans uh six fifteen through twenty three okay uh is speaking to people who were struggling with a big word called antinomianism okay a n t i o or n o m i a n i s m there you go <laughs> All right, antinomianism. Okay, I'm gonna we're gonna read this verse number fifteen of chapter number six, and it's important that we we understand this so that when we get into chapter seven, this will make sense. Okay? Yes, ma'am. Antinomianism. Well, that, that's what we're getting into it. I'm not moving on. (laughs) Okay? We're getting into it. Okay, so Paul makes a statement here in verse number 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. And then he goes into what we just covered here recently. Okay? What Paul is addressing here is a group of people that possibly could be struggling with this thought of antinomianism or anti-law. Anti-law is another way we could say it, okay? So under your your two lines there, I have the definition for this, okay? The doctrine according to which Christians are freed by grace from the necessity of obeying the Mosaic law. Okay? The doctrine according to which Christians are freed from grace are freed by grace, sorry, freed by grace, from the necessity of obeying the Mosaic law. To say a good doctrine or a bad doctrine? Oh, come on now, there should be a quick answer. No, oh, we're all still writing. okay? Doctrine according to which Christians are freed by grace from the necessity of obeying the Mosaic law. So no longer have to obey the Mosaic law. It's the entirety of the, entirety of the law. We're freed from the law in its entirety. The entirety. Okay. So the idea given here, let's read verse 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Okay. So the antinomian is going to say, I'm under grace so I can live however I want. I'm freed from the law. I don't have to live what the law says. Okay, Now this would primarily probably be focusing on a Gentile group of people here in Rome. Okay, The Gentiles were going to lean towards this bent of, Hey, I'm, I don't like the law. I don't really care for that type idea. Uh, I'm given this free gift, free gift of grace. I can live however I want. I don't have to abide. I'm free from the law. And it's a very wrong misunderstanding of what freed from the law actually means. Okay, So this section here uh, is speaking to a group of people that would be struggling. And I don't want to get into that too much because we've already covered that. I just wanted to give you the, the, the word. It's called antinomianism, and it's you know, freed from the law completely. I don't, you know, I don't have to abide by the law at all, okay? Any questions there? Is that that makes sense? That's what that's referring to? Okay, now getting into chapter number 7, okay? Let's read the first verse of 7. Or do you not know, okay? Again, Paul is making sure he's speaking to, he's letting them know this is something you know, and he uses the word brethren, Okay, or do you not know, brethren? For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is what has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Okay, and Paul is going to here in the next six or five verses after this get into an analogy and a, and a picture of what he's going to um, uh, going to lay out in front of them. Okay, uh, And the legalism is what this group of people would be struggling with. okay. And so in Romans, 7, 1 through 25, and it really kind of bleeds still into Romans 8 a little bit. Um, it, it focuses on the law, and it gives us a, a good understanding of what's going on with, this, with us in the law, okay? It's a very focused on this, and legalism is what this group of people would have been struggling with, okay? Legalism. Can someone explain to me what the difference between antinomianism is and legalism is? It's all law, okay? Uh, it's what we see Jesus dealing with with the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the Gospels, right? They were even adding to the law. You could only take X amount of steps on, a, on the Sabbath. Or you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that. And, you know, they're, they're, they add and add. And it's all the structure of you have to live a certain way uh, or you're not going to be in the graces of God. It's a legalism, okay? Uh, uh, the The what I have to write down there is a strict, literal, or excessive conformity to the law. Okay? Putting it, yeah. The, the law is more important. You know, what, what did we see Jesus constantly telling them? I am here to fulfill the law. I am here. The law is fulfilled in me. You know, I... It, because I'm out here picking corn or wheat on the Sabbath day is not a. There's no penalty in the law. The law is fulfilled in me. All right, Jesus is constantly trying to point them to that, and they're bring. They're always wanting to go back to the law. All right, a strict literal or excessive conformity to the law. Okay, legalism. And we see legalism creep into our churches today in different ways, okay? Uh, we see women have to only wear dresses, okay? That's a form of legalism. Um, you can only listen to uh, certain kinds of music. It's a form of legalism, all right? And, and it bleeds it all kinds of different directions. Only can read the King James version, right? Uh, legalism. Um, only blink. Yes, this is this is a an important aspect, okay, of the Christian life, okay, right? Okay. But there's the the it 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 almost can get to as as silly as what Mike had just said there, okay. The, the the legalism um can get to that point where it's just man's opinion okay women should only have their hair down and long men should only have short hair uh you know yeah it, and so it it comes to a point where what what is what is the what is the the driving force behind legalism is that you are forced into obedience and forced into this mold which this group of people think that you should live wear a mask okay um now we're getting political but <laughs> <laughs> okay we're, this is uh inside the church but yes it's um it, it's a it's a f a f- framework that if you are outside of this, then you're not as righteous. And that's what ends up happening with legalism is um, I am more right with God than you are because I, you know, only watch G-rated movies. And because you watched a PG-13, wow, you know, I'm going to really pray for you this weekend because you know, your soul is in jeopardy, okay? That is a true, uh, you know, there there was, you know, legalism goes to, well, you can't go to the movie house, but you can rent something from Redbox. There's no, there's no consistency in it, okay? Some would say, well, you got to get rid of TV altogether, and internet, and, and, and live in a bubble. Well, none of this is in scripture and so they they it's a controlling atmosphere and we see it within true christianity okay you can be a true christian and 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 believe these things uh you're just a a misinformed or you're you're wrongly interpreting what scripture would have to say now at the same time if you Believe in your heart that only watching a certain genre of movies or a certain music uh, or or whatever is something that you believe is right. That is okay for you. But when I come to Amy and say, "But you need to abide by what I say too," that's when it turns into legalism. Okay, and if I don't have a biblical, non-twisted very, very clear because legal, legalistic people use Scripture twisted to prove their point, okay? But if I come to Amy and say, you know, you only should watch G-rated movies or you're not right with God, and I, and I just leave it there, there's no power behind that, okay? But I can say, Amy, you shouldn't live in adultery. I have power behind that statement. Because Scripture gives me the authority, and that's not legalism, okay? Legalism is a, it's outside the scope of what Scripture would have us to know and believe. And uh, it's living by a set of rules. Here uh, is going to be displayed uh, as the law, okay? Living by a set of rules that Jesus has already paid for, okay? And he's going to uncover this as we go through this, okay? All right. Any any other uh thoughts on le- we're going to go through legalism is going to be uh aspect that we're going to go over the next several weeks here uh and and flushing uh are going through Romans 7. But any other thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, yeah, I have. I had a friend. I have a friend of mine. They were missionaries, and they were going around getting a deputation. And the church that they were going to go see sent them a letter and asked what his wife wore to bed. Legalism—it's none of his business. She wears nothing to bed, or wears pants to bed, or a nightgown to bed. Has nothing to do with that church or the belief system. But th- they. Yeah, they get into areas, and what legalism tends to do is meddle where they don't belong. They start meddling in where they don't belong. Okay, And we don't meddle within the marital bedroom um, unless you come to the leadership saying, hey, we're struggling, can you help us? The leadership doesn't come to you and say, this is what you should be doing, that's meddling. That's not where our that's not where the scripture gives us the ability to go. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yes, and and but there's 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 things like I I the analogy I gave with Amy. If I told her what movies to watch, I'm meddling. That's none of my business. What movies she watches? Now there comes to a point. Now she's. You know, we comes to find out she's watching nothing but X rated movies, you know, we have some we have some grounds to come talk to her, okay? But there is there's freedom. There's freedom with music and movies choices and, and those type entertainment. There's freedom in that to a point, okay? You know, there's not freedom of entertainment in a strip club. Okay. That's not freedom that we have. But well, this is more speaking to a um, church type setting or a Christian type setting, legalism. Setting rules on you that if you don't live by these rules, then you're not a good Christian or you're not real, you might not even be a real Christian. It's setting rules on you that are not given in Scripture. Okay? But the analogy I gave is if I meddle in her movie watching or music watching, that's meddling. Okay? But if I find that she's in adultery, that's not meddling, that's biblical grounds for me to approach her and say hey this is sin okay so there's a difference in that if you listen to this kind of music or yeah that's legalism and that's what paul is going to be dealing with here is he knows his audience, and he knows one side of his audience is going to struggle with saying, hey, I don't have to do nothing in the law, and I can live however I want. And the other one is going to have the tendency to say, yeah, you got to live completely by the law and structured every aspect of your life, and so on, okay? And so that's what we get into here in 7, or do you not know, brethren, the word brethren there, Paul is a Jew. So some theologians believe that Paul is referring to brothers uh in in the Jewish stent um and because of the, we talks about here for I am speaking to those who uh know the law that would most not that Gentiles didn't know but he's speaking to those that actually had a good understanding of what the law uh is saying okay uh, and the law given here in verse number one uh, has two meanings to it. It's referring to the Mosaic law, and it's also referring to uh, the law of man, okay? Because we are bound under that law until we die, okay? So if a person commits a crime um, <clears throat> and then is um, shortly thereafter you know, killed somehow, somehow loses his life one way or another before he comes to trial, there's no purpose of bringing that person to trial because the law does no longer uh, have jurisdiction over a dead person. doesn't matter. Okay? And and that's kind of what's being said here in verse number one. All right? And so your blank there, most likely speaking to Jews, is your blank there under Romans 7-1, a Jewish audience. Okay? Now, we're going to read through uh, this um, section. We're going to read verses 2 and 3. Okay? Uh, your blank there is this is an analogy. Okay? We're going to talk about the analogy, and then we're going to talk about a few other aspects here. Okay? Uh, someone want to read verses 2 and 3. Okay, so do we understand the analogy here? Okay, a woman, and this is given in the law, but this is either way, okay? A spouse is um, tied to, you know, a woman is tied to her husband in marriage. And that marriage cannot be broken uh, unless the man is dead. And then she is free. If not, she's committed adultery. And what we understand by uh, what's given before this, and uh, the the whole group together, the whole group of verses, the the whole context, we would understand this husband to not be a good husband. Okay, this is a taskmaster type husband. Okay, this is a husband that is partic- uh, uh, The picture is the law. Okay, you have to. Perfectly live, all right? Now, how hard that would be as a, as for a woman to live um, under this uh, ruling husband that, is, you know, you have to live an excellent, perfect life, okay? This is the, the thought process behind Paul's analogy here, but he's bringing out the law. A married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, Okay, he's going to, we're going to have the, the flesh, the meaning of this out here in a minute. Um, but do we understand what Paul is getting at here? Okay, the legal aspect of marriage, uh, a woman being bound to her husband while they're both married is part of the law. And this is, um, this is just the way it is. Okay, now pretty much anywhere you go in the world, this is the way it is. And then there's breakoffs and people water it down, especially here in the United States, right? Marriage is super watered down. Uh, but the understanding usually when you stand uh, before, uh, usually a church, they're going to say until what? Death do you part, right? For riches or poor, sickness and health or till death do you part. That's that's the common understanding of marriage. And that's what Paul is getting at here, especially in this time, this was very, very serious and understood is, you know, when you're married, you're married for life until that man would die. Okay? And then getting into verse number four is the meaning which Paul gives. What I want to bring out before we get into verse number four Clarify something. If you were going to be counseling someone on marriage, would you bring them to this passage? Yes or no? No. Never. This is not the intended purpose of this passage. Is to say women must stay married to their husband until death. This is not at all the intended purpose of this passage, and this is where we can take Scripture out of context when we do such things, okay? This is an analogy. Now, we can go other places in Scripture to get marriage principles. This isn't one of them. This is talking about a uh, law in the Old Testament, okay, that Paul is bringing out and he's referring to those that know the law okay? they would know this law in the Old Testament right? we talked about it through our Deuteronomy, class, our Deuteronomy sermon series um, but when we uh, use scripture properly and someone says well I'm just going to divorce my, my husband because I'm tired of him you wouldn't say well you turn to Romans chapter 7 Right here, this says no. That's not what we would use this passage for, because that's not the intended purpose of the author here. Does that make sense? I just wanted to clarify that point. We don't want to misuse Scripture to prove a point in a conversation. This this passage, those two verses, is not intended to be a marriage counseling uh, set of verses. It's given as an analogy to prove a point or to make a point, okay? Everyone clear on that? It makes sense, okay? I just wanted to make sure that we don't take Scripture out of context, and this is an analogy. If You want to use marriage verses, there's other places in Scripture that uh, talk about that, okay? Now, moving on to verse number four gives us the meaning. Yes. I wasn't very creative in these. Your next blank is meaning. <laughs> meaning. It's the meaning. Okay? So those two verses, it's an analogy. Verse number four is the, is the meaning of what he's getting at. We're going to read this carefully. And I want to see if you guys pick out an interesting uh, deal. who's dying in verses th- two and three? Okay. All right. Now let's read verse number four just number 4 what does it say okay so paul throws a twist in this doesn't he who's dying in verse 4 you are right in verses 2 and 3 the the husband's dying and paul changes the narrative a little bit here and says you're dying. Why do you think that would be? If the high, yeah, then the law is dead and if the law is dead, what? We no longer have to live under it. Or we do have to live by it. If the law is dead, if the law is gone away with, if it's died, so this wouldn't wouldn't be consistent with what Paul has been teaching, okay? Should we sin? because we are not under the law but under grace may it never be because we still are under aspects of the law all right so for uh, therefore, uh, therefore my brethren, you you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ what's being said here what's being what's Pauls driving purpose here what is he getting at and it's you're you're looking at it you might be scratching your head so that you might be joined to another while you were still married to the law or to your old husband you were joined there you died with christ okay on the cross you died you paid you, you, you were dead with him. That is what is being, the point being driven here is we died with Christ so that you might be joined. When we died with Christ, what also happened? We raised with him. Okay, we didn't stay dead. We raised again. And now because we have died, but we've been rose again with Christ, we can be joined to another. That's what Paul's analogy is here. And, and it, sometimes it, these things can be confusing, but Paul is really emphasizing the fact that we are no longer joined to the law in a marriage-type idea where we're bound to that. We are freed from that because we have died with Christ. The, the law says you are to be uh, under that until you've died, until one of the partners have died. Well, we died with Christ, freeing us from, and I want to make sure that you understand this phrase, freed from the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? Death, the penalty. We're we're dead to that. We are no longer under that. Jesus came to what? Fulfill the law. Okay? Fulfill the law. We talked about the three aspects. Remember, what are the three aspects of the law? Remember, moral's one of them. Civil's one of them. Ceremonial, okay? God, Jesus came to fulfill the ceremonial law. Okay, the ceremonial law is a picture or a foreshadowing of Christ when he was to come to give himself as a sacrifice to pay our sin. He covered that on the cross with us. We died with him. And so that our, uh, our payment would be covered in, and covered and no longer, the, the law would no longer have a case against us. Do we see that? The law has a case against us before we're saved because we are sinful in nature and we uh, we have nothing that we can do to pay for that sin. After salvation, the law sees what? The price paid by Christ on the cross. We died with Him and that that penalty that would be bestowed upon us is paid for in Full, so the law has no longer any uh, hold on us. Just like a husband has no longer a hold on his wife after he's dead, the law has no longer a hold on the believer. Do we see how that's working together now? That's what Paul's... What's that? The law has hold on the, belie- uh, the unbeliever, right? Has has him bound. Okay, After salvation, the law has no more hold on the believer because all debts have been paid. Every, there's no more jurisdiction. The law has been paid for and the law in the sense that person has died to the law and, and, and been raised again in Christ and so no longer the law has any uh, authority over that person. Uh, in, the, in the aspect of um, judgment. Is that, is, it, is that okay? There's a lot being said here by Paul, but it's so, so good that Jesus paid the price that no one could pay to settle the, the law, and the law has no longer any claim on you because you're dead to the law In the aspect of its claim of judgment on you. Does that make sense? The judgment that the law has on you, you're no longer uh, uh, tied to that because we have died with Christ and then be joined with him. Okay? So that in the middle part of verse 4, so that you might be joined to another, that another is Christ, to Him who has raised from the dead. Okay, He raised Him up from the dead. We didn't stay dead with Christ. He brought us to new life, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Okay, this bearing fruit, we see this flushed out throughout Scripture. The idea of doing, uh, you know, the fruits of the Spirit okay that is what's being uh, thought of here okay so this is the meaning of what Paul's getting at he brings this analogy of something that they would be very familiar with in the marriage relationship and and gives that analogy but twist it and says you've died the law is still alive the two the, well the one aspect the moral law doesn't die that still has Authority as far as what we need to obey, but we're no longer condemned under the law. We're no longer under its jurisdiction. Okay, uh, and then the the um, the legal part of the law or the um, those are good principles, but we're not bound under that aspect of the law. The only part that we're bound under would be God's moral law. And then he gets into verse number 5, okay? And this is the application. That's your last point there, verses 5 and 6. For while we were in the flesh, okay, the sinful, uh, the, while we were in the job of a sinner, okay, while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which we uh, arose by the law were... At work in our members um, of our body to bear fruit for death. Okay? So we, um, we could only. The law brought out the wickedness of our life and showed that the fruit that we would have in our bodies is a fruit towards death. It's, it's a rotting, decay fruit. There's no good in it. But now we have. But now. We, okay, this is believers, have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, okay? If we read verse 6 by itself, it would give us the understanding that we're freed from all aspects of the law, right? That's why we don't read Scripture uh, in, in one verse increments, Okay? It's, it's a bad way to read Scripture. But now we have been released from the law, having died to, uh, to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in new, uh, newness of the Spirit and not in an oldness of the letter. Okay? So we serve in the spirit of God. We serve with this freedom to serve Him, to love Him, and, and this verse number six is getting to that legalistic understanding. We don't. We're not bound by um, the the law in its the the to stay in the letter of the law in legalism that where you have to abide by all of these standings to to, to live and, and to um, to live a good and godly life but nowhere do we see in scripture that it says that we no longer are bound under the moral law of God okay the moral law of God is binding upon our hearts this is referring to the um, ceremonial law that has been paid for by God. Okay? You had to live that ceremonial law, right? You didn't have a choice in the Old Testament. You lived the ceremonial law. And if you didn't, it was not good. You were judged for it. Okay? This was not something that was a suggestion. And we're no longer bound by that because we've died to that through Christ. Which freed us from the bondage of the law and brought us to new life in the spirit, do we see the analogy there? This is a lot isn't it i know okay it's it's deep. Paul is never accused of being shallow okay <laughs> he's got a lot he's very deep he 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 gives out deep meanings, okay, but i don't want to. Make, say all these words and then leave it there. So if there's questions or, you know, something's not being said clearly, uh, let me know and we'll, we'll see if we can clarify that. But, or is this making sense what Paul is getting at here? We're not freed from all aspects of the law. We're freed from the penalty. It's a very, very important. You bear fruit to what you are married to. Yeah, you bear fruit to what you're married to. You're. What is the law's purpose? Yeah. Does the law? Um, can we? Uh, does the law have any redeeming aspect to it? Can we be saved through the law at all? Yeah, it was a picture. We are we are very blessed to live in the time uh uh of humanity that we do. We no longer live under the law, we live under grace. Uh and, and what a blessing that is. Um and there was grace. There was there's was grace in the Old Testament. I don't want to say I don't want us to think that there wasn't grace or or kindness of God in the Old Testament. God was very kind to the Jews. Um, but God used that as a way to the the foreshadowing of what he was going to come and um, fulfill, not abolish. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And he fulfills it in his life and his death and his resurrection and we partake in his death and his resurrection and that frees us from the penalty of what the law has it frees us from that because we've died we're no longer and that's the analogy that paul's giving the, the simple analogy is here you're no jessica is no longer bowed to, bound to me if she dies no longer Right? If I claim her on my taxes after she's dead, it's not right, okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay, so no longer bound. But some clear just just some quick little just for a few seconds here. Um Throughout verse chapter 7, this is a very key passage to uh, get us to understand the aspect of how the law works and how sin is uh, understood in Paul's mind. So make sure, if at all possible, that you make it. Uh, you know, Obviously, it's all important, but Romans 7 and 8 are so important to the functionality of the Christian life. And how we see ourselves as sinners. And that Paul gives his own testimony here. And, and I do things that I don't want to. And I don't do the things I should. And he, and he flushes this out so that we understand we're still going to sin. We're still going to struggle. But in verse, in chapter 8, man, he, he, it, it becomes gloriously uh, to us how, how Christ richly saves us. Okay? So chapter 7, chapter 8 is so vitally important to the Christian's understanding. Uh, and you know, all of Romans obviously is. Um, but, um, yeah. Anyways, good. Everybody have a, a, a good understanding, a better understanding of what this was saying? How many of you read this before you came into the, the class? Okay. Were you? Would you come into the? Did you come in with a, uh, an understanding of what it was saying already? Did you have a good understanding? Okay, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just making sure that I didn't confuse everyone. Okay, I don't want you to send you out here confused. So if you say, "Hey, yes, it makes sense," that's good. That that helps me know that I didn't confuse you. Okay, very good. Okay, next week is going to be seven through. Thirteen. Oh, uh, yeah, seven through thirteen. Hopefully, seven. Chapter seven of Romans, seven through thirteen. Lord willing, if I don't do it, Mike will. <laughs> Be in prayer for Jen, especially. She's hopefully next week she will will have a newbie. Okay, so (sighs) Joseph, you want to close this?